Hey sickos, Casey here. Welcome to another episode of Sickos Podcast. I'm recording from my bed on Sunday before Halloween. Um, Things in Gaza have been getting worse and worse, it seems. Um, So I just want to say up at the top um, that if you live especially in a settler colonial state such as the US, Canada, Australia, uh, it's very much on us to do whatever we can to call for an immediate ceasefire and an end to the genocide of the Palestinian people. Um, nothing short of ceasefire and end of the war is going to be enough. Um, these calls for humanitarian pauses uh, are a joke. <laughs> um, we can stop the atrocities by stopping the war. So um, I'm going to put some links in the episode description to a couple different um, like templates and uh, sites that have easy ways to call Congress people, call senators, call the White House. Um, And then I just, yeah, if you're able to, I know it's hard for us sickos to get out into the street, um, but do what we can to gum up the war machine, (laughs) Um, try to, to slow things down and bring some... I don't know, peace. Um, it's hard to to know what to say or do, and it feels like everything that like a cultural producer is making should be about this right now. Um, I am going to go forward and read the second installment of my column, Your Sick Friend, um, but I just want to, yeah, really keep Palestine and people of Gaza and the West Bank really front of mind and know that any work that we're doing towards disability justice, towards COVID justice, all of that is very much connected to to the Palestinian struggle. Um, I really encourage people to read things like um, Jasbir Puar's The Right to Meme. And there's a couple of really great episodes of the Death Panel podcast that cover um, issues in Palestine, especially pertaining to uh, health and debility. Um, I can try and put links to those as well. And just really um, want to encourage people to seek out Palestinian voices and uplift those voices um, rather than, you know, American commentators. Um, So anyways, um, yeah, as ever, solidarity with Palestine. And um, now I will be shifting gears towards reading this next column. So 
also want to thank people for listening to the first episode and for giving me feedback and encouragement. This is very much like a, like I said in the first episode, a pretty um, DIY project. And um, I don't exactly know where I'm going with it. So thanks for being here. Um, And if there's like particular topics or, you know, things that you would like to see me cover, um, I really welcome feedback and, um, yeah, I just want to know how everybody's doing out there. The world is feeling pretty, um, heavy right now and I really appreciate, like, any, any engagement, any, um, anybody reaching out to let me know how you're doing, um, yeah, feel free to get in touch. Um, you can do that via Substack um, through the comment function, I think, um, for the post that this podcast will be going out with. Um, so this next installment of Your Sick Friend, again, this is the column that I write uh, monthly for my local paper, The Montague Reporter. I want to thank them for uh, giving me Uh, permission to share my writing in a new venue and format. Um, This particular column came out in March of 2021, and this was just as the national mask mandates were lifting. Um, So that's the context that we have here. And it's also right when the CDC changed the way that they were tracking the virus which I go into in the column, but that's pretty massive and really shifted the way that people reported COVID numbers and the way that we kind of all conceptualized risk um, and trying to like monitor or gauge risk in our own communities. And any any of the maps that you see now, um, even though there's so little data to... Um, really inform what these these infographics look like the maps um of tracking the virus are still using this um new cdc guideline um that was introduced at this time so um here we go march 2021 your sick friend I've been dreading March 1st, when the Montague mask mandate was set to lift, for months. While many celebrate their freedom to go maskless at Food City, local grocery store, I am more terrified to simply exist in public than I've been since the pandemic began. The new CDC COVID-19 guidelines and risk classifications released at the end of February have turned my terror up way past 11. Under the new metrics, what the CDC considered high community spread of the virus, 492 cases per uh, per 100,000, is now classified as low. The CDC's new high is substantially higher. Communities will not be classified as having a high rate of transmission until there are 1,136 cases per 100,000. And it's only at that threshold of spread that the CDC recommends masking indoors. Essentially, absent any developments in epidemiology or medicine, the government changed their numbers around to make the map of the U.S. 
previously awash in red high-risk states, Massachusetts included, transform overnight into a sea of serene, low-risk turquoise, assuring us that the country can now celebrate a return to normalcy. But, by the way, this new normal is predicated on the U.S. public accepting incredibly high instances of illness, death, and debility, not previously part of what anyone considered, quote, normal. As an immunocompromised person, I'm not sure I can adequately describe how scary this new normal is. Essentially, the government has decided the only people responsible for keeping the vulnerable safe are the vulnerable themselves. We're being told in no uncertain terms that our lives do not matter. The vulnerable have effectively had our social rights stripped from us. Because of the new changes and the ripple effect they will have in society, I may never feel safe going into the grocery store, the post office, to the goddamn pharmacy to pick up my immunosuppressive medications, let alone on a trip to see the family I've been separated from for over two years, or to see my girlfriend who lives all the way in Kyoto, Japan. Because of the changes in isolation requirements for those with COVID-19, I can't even trust that my doctors and nurses aren't being forced back to work while potentially still contagious with a virus that could kill or further disable me. Immunocompromised people are not cryptids. We're not rare beings tucked away from society. We are workers, parents, students, children. Many of us look healthy on the outside. Your cashier, doctor, teacher, or waiter could have an immunocompromising invisible illness. Further, because of the dismal lack of healthcare many Americans face, there are likely thousands of people who do not know that they themselves are among the vulnerable. Diagnosis and treatment are privileges many do not have. I know I'm not alone in my anger and despair at the way the government continues to bungle its COVID-19 response. As isolated as I often feel, I have to remind myself that there are many other people who feel the same. In fact, a recent poll cited by Ed Young, science writer for The Atlantic, found that 50% of Americans still support mask mandates. If you're sad or scared or angry, or likely all three and more, and want to find media that's still taking the pandemic seriously, I recommend my friend's health justice podcast, Death Panel especially their recent episode that breaks down the CDC's new guidance, Lying Like a State. I also recommend the Twitter and articles of Ed Yong, the work of epidemiologists Abby Cardis and Justin Feldman. If you're looking for ways to keep yourself, your family, and your friends safe, check out the mask reviews and fit guides Aaron, uh, Collins, Aaron Collins has on YouTube. And finally, please continue to wear masks and get tested regularly. It's not clear, especially after the new CDC changes, how long uh, testing services will continue. Please take the time to tell the staff that the test at the testing sites how much you appreciate their work and fill out any user surveys they may send you with positive feedback. It shouldn't be up to the public alone to manage this public health disaster. That is what states are purportedly for. But this is where we currently stand. We can't give up on each other. We have to remain steadfast in our solidarity with those most impacted and do what we can. Get vaccinated if you're medically able, mask in public, test regularly, and agitate at work, 
in school board and uh, school board and town meetings, perhaps even in the street. Do not accept mass death and debility. I deserve better, and so do you. With love and rage, your sick friend. So after reading that, I guess there's like a few things I want to point out or reflect on. Um, I think the biggest just being that, you know, this was a time when many people were starting to feel that the pandemic was kind of slowing down. This was pre-Omicron wave um, and I think even pre-Delta wave. And we were approaching the summer. There was a lot of uh, optimism about the vaccines. And yeah, so for a lot of people hearing from the CDC that masks were no longer required in public spaces, this was really exciting. Um, but as I reflect here, you know, for a vulnerable person like me, this was really scary. And <laughs> as you know, two years have passed now uh, since I wrote this, I had every reason to be scared. Um, in the last, less than a year alone, I went from having one previous COVID infection, which happened February of 2020, like before we even knew it was in the US, um, to from, I guess it was November of 2022 through to today, I've had COVID another three times. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, in this time when supposedly things were safer for everyone, it's actually been the most dangerous time for me as a medically vulnerable person. And I have never stopped masking in public. So, you know, even though, yeah, I've, I've been taking my precautions and doing all that I can to mitigate risk, um, it's not been enough. And after every COVID infection, my, you know, pre-existing conditions have worsened and I've gotten sicker and, yeah, four, four infections in, I am definitely worse for wear and I'm terrified of the fifth infection. I'm terrified of getting it again. And, you know, so much so that like, I have really struggled to, to maintain my social life and, to feel like I have any real future out in the world. Um, I'll share that I'm, I'm really tired right now. You can probably tell from um, my voice and how maybe slightly rambly I am this episode. Um, but part of the reason I'm so tired is I had to start taking chemotherapy drugs uh, to man manage my autoimmune diseases, um, which have all gotten worse with COVID. And unfortunately, that means I'm now even more vulnerable to another infection because my immune system is even further suppressed. So in order to manage the worsening symptoms that I've had because of having COVID as many times as I have, I have to take a medication, which now makes me more vulnerable to COVID. 
Um, that was a really difficult decision to make and one I shouldn't have had to make. And um, I know that I'm not alone in having to make these hard decisions. I know a lot of other chronically ill friends and acquaintances who have had to make similar decisions. And it's just gut-wrenching, honestly. Um, I'm actually like in the middle of a, a COVID scare right now uh, where a close acquaintance of mine was exposed at work. And even though they mask at work, nobody else does. And um, they're one of my primary caretakers, which so this has like really severely affected my life, even if none, neither of us get COVID. You know, I hope obviously that neither of us do having to isolate from each other, um, isolate from my chronically ill housemate. Um, the next couple of days for me are going to be pretty stressful and, um, are going to require me, um, require that I spend a lot of time just alone in my room and masking at home and, um, unfortunately, I'm also <laughs> increasing my COVID dose this week. Um, so I'm going to be having to manage probably worse side effects on my own when normally I would have had this friend as a caretaker, um, around to support me. So, um, all of this, I want to be really clear. Like, I feel really strongly that like, none of us should be in this position. I don't blame this person. I don't blame their coworker for getting sick. I think it's shitty to blame anyone for getting sick. Um, and I think that, yeah, none of us should be in this position where we have to be constantly hypervigilant about contracting a potentially life-altering and life-threatening illness um, just when we're out in the world or when we're at work. Um, or when we're in our homes. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, hi, cowgirl. <laughs> cowgirl, my cat is making an appearance. I don't know if you all will hear her, but she just came in the room. She's also a chronically ill icon. Um, my baby. <laughs> Anyway, I'm starting to to uh, lose the plot slightly, so I hope that <laughs> this second episode uh, was, I don't know if enjoyable is the right word, but maybe cathartic to listen to, maybe affirming, um, maybe just, um, I don't know, some parasocial comfort, um, if nothing else. Um, I'm going to try to be putting these out weekly, um, as I can, but like I said, I'm, I'm going to be upping my medication, um, dosage this week and I anticipate feeling pretty shitty next week. So hopefully I will be able to, yeah, get that third episode recorded and another installment of your sick friend recorded for you guys. Um, but if you don't hear from me, it's probably cause I've sicked out. <laughs> And that's okay. Um, anyway, 
I will, again, put some resources for supporting um, comrades in Gaza and Palestine uh, in the episode notes and really encourage everybody to do what they can, um, even if it's from bed. Um, us sickos got to stick together and uh, that includes that includes our oppressed brothers and sisters and siblings across the world um all right sickos of the world unite sickos in solidarity with palestine take care y'all gobble gobble weeks empty weeks empty one of us